And I invite you to turn to the very first book of the Bible, to Genesis chapter 3, uh, verse, uh, verse 15. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Years ago, a friend of mine introduced me to the difference between an ally and a friend. And I found this to be so helpful. I know I've shared it with many of you. I, I shared it even a couple weeks ago with the Yads, the young adult disciples. So here's the difference. An ally is someone who's committed to the same cause or goal that you are. They're committed to the same business, the same political cause, the same hobby. A friend is someone who's committed to you, which is why if you stop chasing a particular goal or you change your hobby, you tend to lose your allies, but you don't lose your friends. This morning, God says he's our friend. Now, friendship can go south. We can hurt our friends deeply, but because they're friends and they're committed to us, most of the time they're willing to find a way to repair our relationship. Forgiveness and reconciliation are a fundamental part of friendship in a fallen world because they're a part of committing to someone you care about. God is our friend. But even so, what if we've done something really bad? What if, for example, like Adam and Eve, maybe we betrayed God and sort of broke all of creation by bringing the curse of sin and death into the world? Like, How can you know that your friend is willing to maintain their commitment to you and to forgive you and to reconcile themselves to you when you've done something truly terrible? Well, one huge way is if they promise you that they will. Promises tell people that we are committed to them. Promises assure others that our love for them will be stable even if the world is unstable. And in a friendship or a marriage or a family, a promise can even extend that love further. It can say, I am committed to keeping our relationship or restoring our relationship even if you are the reason for that instability, even if you are the one who breaks it. In this Christmas series season, I want us to see God's commitment of friendship to us. I want us to see the promises God makes and keeps in Jesus so that we can be restored and reconciled. I want us to see again the redemptive love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit so that we can trust him more and understand just what it means when Jesus turns to us in John's gospel and says that he has made us his friends. And this morning we're going to see that in God's promise to endure the curse for us in order to save our friendship. Our text this morning is Genesis 3.15. We'll read verses 14 through 21 through context. And then after we ask God to help us uh, hear and apply the word, we're going to look at three things from our passage. We'll look at the question, are we friends? And then you can't be friends. And then we know we're friends. And enjoy the cleverness of these points because you know they're not that clever very often. So this is a real treat for you guys. I hope you're you're satisfied. Uh, Let's hear God's word, Genesis 3. We'll start in verse 14. This is the end of the of the the fall. The Lord God said to the serpent, "Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. 
On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Thus far the reading of what can only be God's own word. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this word, which you have inspired and preserved for us, and which we know is the living and true word of God. The word that you have spoken to bring life to dead sinners, to give strength to the weary, and to grow our relationship with you. But Father, we know that uh, this word will not accomplish those things unless your spirit goes out with it to do so. And so we pray now, Father, that your spirit would give us minds to understand, ears to hear, and hearts to believe your word, so that we would uh, arrange our lives around it and grow in trust in you. Father, may the words of my mouth as your preacher and the meditation of all of our hearts as those called to hear and respond to your word, may they all now be pleasing in your sight. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So for those who don't know what happened just before our passage, uh, in Genesis 1 and 2, we have the story of God making everything. And central to that story is the goodness of creation. God makes everything good and right and blessed. Now, blessing is a word we Christians tend to throw around a lot without much thought. We're going to fix that this morning. Blessing means happiness. To have a blessing is to have a good thing that makes you happy. To give a blessing is to give a good thing that makes others happy. And to be a blessing means your presence itself is a good thing that brings happiness to others. So when God says in Genesis 1 and 2 that the world was good and blessed, he means that in every element and aspect, there is a reason for our happiness. Creation is full of joy and laughter and contentment, and it's so full of blessings that it appears impossible to exhaust them. But even if you could, you would always have more happiness because God, who is the blessing, lives in creation. Which is to say that in Genesis 1 and 2, there is not only the possibility of infinite happiness, but of infinitely growing happiness. And I think C.S. Lewis captured this idea very well in his book, The Last Battle, which is the completion of the Chronicles of Narnia series. I'm not going to spoil the, the story, but at the end of the book, Lewis imagines the new heavens and the new earth as a place where the main characters who are children 
get to run and play with Aslan the lion in joy and happiness. And as the book finishes, we discover that the further they run into this new creation with Aslan, the more energy they get and the happier they get and the bigger the world gets. Infinitely increasing joy. It's as good a picture as I've heard for the ever-increasing joy that we already promised at the return of Jesus, and which I think was there in the very beginning. Now, this idea is important because when God creates Adam and Eve in the garden, he calls upon them to work it and to keep it, which in part means that God wanted them to be his allies, his partners in bringing out the blessings of creation. Their goals were aligned, experience, and expand all the sources of happiness that God had blessed creation with. So when Adam and Eve mysteriously and without any obvious explanation mistrust God, listen to the lies of the devil, and break God's commands, it raises the question, is God just our ally, or is he our friend? And if God is our friend, is his friendship one that will overcome what we've done? See, the only hope we have in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and in our lives and in the Bible, is in the character of God. What kind of God is he? And what kind of relationship does that God want to have with us? And surprisingly, it's in the announcement of curse and death, which our sin brought into the world, that God tells us, I'm more than an ally, I'm your friend. And here we've started our second part for your note takers. And so God says, and yes, even though your actions have damaged the blessings that I gave you, I am going to commit myself to fixing all of it and to fixing us. I want reconciliation. I want to be your friend. That's verses 14 and 15. When God announces the curses to the devil, who at this point is disguised as a snake. I'm going to read those again. Verses 14 and 15. God says to the snake, to the devil, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So I know there's a lot here, but for our purposes this morning, I just want us to quickly notice three things. And first... I want you to see that God associates the devil with cursing and death. So when God says that the serpent is cursed above all livestock and animals, that's meant to be read against everything in creation being blessed at the opening chapters. The devil is not someone who brings blessing in any form. He brings curse. He brings strife and division and sadness and hurt. And not just curse, he also brings death. Death. So dust here is a picture of death. Doesn't God tell Adam just a few verses later that he is from the dust and to dust he will return? 
So when God says that the devil, who again is disguised as a serpent at this point, will crawl around on his belly eating dust, the point is you are connected to death. Now there's a lot of mystery about what happened to Satan before the fall, like when did he fall, how did he fall, why did he fall, all of those questions. Here we can say that whatever blessing may still have been connected to the devil before this, it's all gone. He's now team curse and death, full stop. That's the first thing. Here's the second. God puts enmity between the woman's offspring and Satan's. What's the opposite of a friend? An enemy, right? Here at the fall, Adam and Eve chose cursing and death over blessing and life. They rejected friendship with God for Satan, but God did not reject his friendship with them. And because of that, God raises a barrier of strife and division and enmity between Adam and Eve and the devil. There will not be a friendship between Adam and Eve and Satan or friendship between all of their children and Satan. Now, there may be alliances, like sadly, because of sin, we sometimes chase the same goals of division and death that the devil does. We talked about that frequently in our our recent series on 2 Corinthians. But the reality is because of God's work here, this is not an easy friendship, at least not for the family of God. And I think this is very important to see. God preserves the chance to reconcile our friendship with him by making us enemies of the devil. By saying to us, you can't be friends. Right? Like a parent might say to a child who wants to be friends with somebody who they know is not a good influence. You can't be friends with them. God does that here with the devil. You can't be friends with Satan. Praise God for that. And that leads to my third observation, which is the promised child. We're told that the offspring of the woman will bruise the serpent's head and that the serpent will strike his heel. So God here promises a savior who will defeat sin, curse, and death, and who will bring down our enemy and repair our friendship with the cement of God's own forgiveness forever. And we all know that promised child is Jesus. Which is why when Augustine read this passage, he said that this is the first preaching of the gospel. This is the first time at the very beginning of the fall, God announces the good news of the kind of friendship he has with us. The good news that he is going to take on human flesh and live as our friends so that he can save us from our sins. In that light, I think it's important to notice what exactly God is promising to do as our friend. He says, I'm going to be poisoned by the snake. That's what it means for the serpent to bruise the child's heel. God is saying, I'm going to be bitten. I'm going to be poisoned. I'm going to be cursed and I'm going to die for you. But I think we can go even further. If you look at the curses that fall on Adam and Eve... Struggles with parenting, struggles with children, with marriage. I think you might just say struggles with relationships. 
struggles with work and with enjoying and receiving the blessings which work was meant to give us in ever-growing measure before the fall. And of course, struggles with death. When God says that this child is going to be poisoned by Satan, he must mean not simply that death on the cross that we talked about, but he's going to experience the totality of cursing and death that is here. He's going to experience what it means to taste dust and to eat of our forbidden tree. See, God does not stand back from afar and say, come over here. I have, a, I have friendship and salvation for you. Come over here. He comes down and he walks with us in the suffering and death and brokenness and curse of our lives as only a friend would. He draws near to us, takes us by the arm, and walks with us out of death into life. And I don't want you to miss this. The first words that God says after drawing Adam and Eve out of hiding are about he is more than our ally. He's our friend. He's their friend who is going to keep them from becoming friends with the devil and who will submit himself to the totality of curses and death that the devil brings because he wants to restore them to himself. That is the promise God makes Adam and Eve. I will come and I will endure all of this in order to beat your enemy and my enemy because by beating our enemy, I can restore our friendship forever. And I will do that by being a friend to you even when you were not a friend to me. And this brings us to our last point. And we're almost done with the sermon. So you're welcome. It's a short one to say. The last point is we know we're friends. Throughout the sermon, I've been saying Adam and Eve, right? But I want you to notice that throughout the text, Eve is not called Eve. She's called the woman. Go back and look. From chapter 1 to chapter 319, it's either Adam and the woman or the man and his wife. It's not Eve. Until verse 20. After the curses, which again begin with this redemptive promise of enmity with the, the devil and restored friendship, friendship, we read this, verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Because of God's promise to send his son to destroy Satan and sin and death and curse, and because of God's promise to do this, through a human child and because Adam and his wife believe what God has promised, he names her after that promise, Eve, which means living. She is the mother of all who live with God as reconciled, forgiven friends. That's the point of verse 20. Eve's name is a way to claim and to remember God's promise of friendship and life. This is a way for Adam and Eve to say to God and to their children and even to Satan, we know what we did. 
but we know what Jesus will do. We know that Jesus is more than our ally. He is our redeemer. He is our friend. And we know that we are friends with God and that we are alive and will always be alive because of God's commitment to us. We trust in him by faith. Join us. Experience life with the God who brings life from the dead. I mean, doesn't this fit just so beautifully with the way the rest of the Bible talks about salvation and reconciliation with God being life? The Bible is such an amazing book. Like, isn't it wonderful to think that in the Bible, being alive with God in redemption means being his friends that God is so committed to, that he's so committed to us, even when we've just screwed it up royally. That God would come down in the midst of complete brokenness and say, I have a solution. And it's not judgment. It's not wrath. It's friendship. My friends, let me end with this. Uh, this is going to feel like a hard left, but it's not. I know what I'm doing, okay? Trust me. Uh, imagine if people couldn't get married or be friends until one of them had deeply and profoundly betrayed the other. Uh, imagine if people couldn't be in any kind of meaningful relationship until one of them had brought death into their significant other's life in some way. I know, obviously that would be ridiculous and impossible. But imagine if that was the case. Who would get married? Who would have friends? Who would commit themselves to someone who just deeply hurt them? Who would stand in the middle of just hurt and pain and you say, you know what? This is the time I'm going to choose friendship with you. After you've just hurt me as deeply as possible. Who would do that? Jesus. That's who would. That's his level of commitment to us. That's the measure of his friendship. That's the certainty of his promise. That's the gospel when in the midst of the worst possible wounds that could be brought on, the entrance of death itself, betrayal of God. God, Jesus, steps down into that and says, I have a solution. You guys don't get to be friends. We're going to be friends. I'm going to secure our friendship by coming down from heaven. You're going to give birth to a child. He's going to save you. I'm going to endure the curses so that you can live with me forever. And Adam and Eve go, wow, you know what? That sounds like life. Your name's now Eve. We're all alive with God because of his commitment to us in the middle of this brokenness. My friends, this Christmas, I hope that we can all see just a little more clearly how great a friend Jesus is. And my prayer for us as we look at him being our promised king and our promised, uh, what is it? King and priest and prophet, there it is, that we can all experience just a little bit more life from him and blessings from him, happiness from him, as, and that we will all draw nearer to him by faith and know him as the God who brings life, who steps down into death to bring life because he's committed 
to you in friendship. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for wanting to be our friend. Thank you for making a way for us to be friends by protecting us from friendship with the enemy and for promising to redeem us and for reconciling us to yourself through Christ. We pray, Lord, this Christmas season, give us a clearer vision of your promises to us and what they mean and how amazing it is that you have fulfilled them all in your Son so that our lives would be empowered to follow you more faithfully and willingly because our hearts are filled with the blessings of peace and joy and life that comes from being friends of God. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.